Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Can Spurs and Chelsea actually challenge Liverpool for the title? What's up with Man City and Arsenal? And where are we in the Solskjaer sackometer this week? We answer all of those questions and more on this episode of the Premier League Weekend Review Podcast. I'm Dan Burke and I'm joined this week by Alex Mott. Hello. And Matt Froelich. Hi guys. Special thanks to Alex who uh, joins us on his day off today. Yeah, you, nice. The things you do. Yeah, there really is nothing to do during the <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess, is there? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I suppose special thanks also to Spurs because uh, when I was talking to you last week, Matt, you warned me that you weren't going to show up today if City beat Spurs. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, thanks very much for that, Spurs. Yeah, I didn't have to find another guest. I was I was delighted about that. I'm surprised you're here. <laughs> I'll always show up, me mate. Because I've got nothing better to do either. <laughs> anyway, we've got eight games to talk about today, and we'll start in North London, where Tottenham did beat Manchester City two nil, leaving City with just twelve points from their first eight games of the season. That's their worst start to a season since 2008-9, when Mark Hughes was manager. So Alex, Pep Guardiola out then, is it? <laughs> I did read today that um, eight goals after no ten game ten goals after eight games is their goals um, since Stuart Pearce's last season in charge. That's so yeah. I'm not saying that Pep Guardiola is as good a manager as Stuart Pearce, but um, you know. <laughs> nobody is. No, it was um, I don't know. It was one of those games where you know City had a lot of the ball, had sort of kept it away in midfield quite a lot, but and had a few chances. But they just I don't know. They never really looked like winning the game to me, and I, I think that's probably half down to do with City playing pretty poorly and half well half down to Tottenham playing really well I think mm. I was really impressed with Spurs and what they did off the ball you know dropping into a fight at the back when they didn't have the ball and and then countering pretty well so yeah it was a bit of a bit of a strange game for City really they couldn't seem to find the spaces that you know, Tottenham weren't offering up any spaces and and I thought Kevin De Bruyne actually had a pretty poor game by his standards. So he's actually having a pretty pretty poor season, Kevin De Bruyne. Uh, I think he kind of gets let off, understandably, because you know he's very good and he he never stops trying things. But yeah, I think I think he's uh, you know it's, it's probably symptomatic of the lack of preseason and all that kind of thing. But he's not, yeah, he's not playing his best yeah. football at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I think he had did he have eight shots? I think which is more than any other player on the pitch, and I don't think one of them was on target during the whole game. He sort of. I don't know whether it's because he's the captain this season now, but he seems to like want to do too much at times, or maybe it's because he doesn't trust the attackers to sort of finish off his passes. I'm not sure, yeah. but yeah, he was, um, yeah, it was, a, yeah, he was poor on Saturday. Yeah. Well, yeah, City had 22 shots compared to just four for Spurs, but like yeah. I say, I never really felt like City were going to score, um, especially after going behind. Um, Matt, I, I want to ask you about Tottenham's performance though first. Like, how good do you think Tottenham's performance was here exactly? Was it a Mourinho masterclass? Or do you think a more ruthless team might have picked them off in this game? Um, yeah, f- funnily enough, I actually thought that any other team who had a sort of a bit sharper in attack probably would have made more of a game of it with score. And that's something you'd never normally say, like at all within the last four years, certainly yeah. since Guardiola came in. Um, so yeah, it was kind of really weird to watch a team with such good attacking potential but never really feel like they'd score. But having said that, I thought Spurs were so, so good. And it really, there was an interview with Eric Dyer after the game and he was talking about, we stuck to the plan and, you know, we knew what we were going to do. And it really, it really showed that it wasn't like a one-off good day for Spurs. Like it was, it was clear that Mourinho had a plan. It was a well, um, and everything, everything, you know, they stuck to it and everything sort of went as they'd hoped and um, yeah, I think the the difference was like picking on moments to to uh, to put the ball in the back of the net, like they did with the two goals. It sort of really came out of nothing. There was no real build up to the goals at all. It was just picking the moments in an otherwise kind of solid performance defensively, first and foremost. Mm. I thought um, I thought Hoiberg was superb as well. Yeah. He was, yeah. Oh my he's, god! I think he's been one of the signings in the summer. And I was sort of looking at the stats earlier on, and he's I think he's um, first in the entire Premier League for tackles won, and third for interceptions as well out of any player in the league. So mm. you can really like see the difference that he's made to their midfields like, he, already. He, he does an insane job both as a footballer in what Spurs need the midfielder, but also mentality wise as yeah. well. He's yeah. just a different breed of mentality that really kind of thrives under Mourinho. And I think Eric Dyer's that kind as well. And it's really being brought out by Mourinho. I think, yeah. yeah, it was defensively, it was so good. That's not necessarily 
um, what you would sort of uh, relate to Tottenham in the yeah. last years. That's what's been about the attacking. Um, but yeah, it was, certainly wasn't boring. I, w- I wouldn't say. No, 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 definitely not. And I, and I think the decision to put Son on the right as well up against Cancelo was was a good one for Mourinho. You know, I, I, he's normally on the left and he would have played up against Kyle Walker uh, normally. And Kyle Walker's yeah, been exactly. probably one, one of the best defenders in the league this season. So put him in on the other side against Cancelo. Yeah, Cancelo's had a pretty decent season, to be fair, but he was caught out a few times on Saturday. And yeah, I thought that was just shows... Mourinho sort of back to his best you know all the decisions that he's making are the right ones at the moment and he seems to really really have his mojo back which is <laughs> 27% possession but I suppose it doesn't matter if you uh, yeah, exactly, win 2-0 yeah. and don't concede a goal is it? Yeah. I wanted to ask you about the goals Matt um, the, the first goal uh, first and foremost the who do you think you blame for that was it Laporte stepping out was it Cancelo sort of going to sleep and letting Son drifted behind him was it Edison letting the ball go through his foot his uh, legs a bit easy or or was it just a piece of ingenuity on the pass from Ndombele? I think it was a great pass, but you could see that there was such a lack of communication. Because because Spurs took the free, the free kick quite quickly, um, there was two rash decisions. Laporte thought, I need to follow Kane. Mm. That was rash decision number one. And then when the ball was clipped over the top, Cancelo thought, I need to follow Son because he's away. And those were two individual decisions that were made. Had they communicated and had it been not such a quick reaction from a quick free kick um you know Cancelo could have moved up with the Porte or the defense could have moved up together or they could have said right we're in this line I'll let Son run I'll let him be offside I'll stay where I am but they didn't it was, it was both individual panic um one after another that kind of led to that situation but yeah having said that the pass was brilliant the first touch was so good mm. Because Cancelo is no slouch, and I think a, a, a poorer touch that would have taken him slightly more away from goal, and Cancelo would have um, would have been able to get across. But I do have a question. I don't know if you guys saw it about the goalkeeping. Mm. What well, is it, me? Or was he so far off his line? Well, for the first goal, like, I couldn't kind of understand him coming out. I just don't think you should get nutmegged with a scuffed shot from sort of the edge of the area like yeah. that. The second goal, I couldn't understand why he came flying out there. I think he made it so easy for Lacelso to just slide yeah. past him into the corner. But, but, but that this is what I thought. I think if you look at both goals and look where Cancelo and was it De Bruyne who was who was tackling Lacelso? Yeah, I think so. For the goal. If you look at where they are, and, and, and I know it's 100% with Lo Celso, he's not as quick as Son. Um, if Edison stays on his line, both players have a second thought about shooting because they think, ah, yeah. oh, the angle, the distance, you know, blah, blah, blah. As soon as they have that second thought and take an extra touch, both defenders get around on the cover. Cancelo continues Son going um, away from goal. And I think Lo Celso, having seen him or watched him and kind of know the player that he is, maybe cuts back and lets De Bruyne get goal side. Mm. Both of them. But because the keeper's so close to them, they can already take on the shot. And I just thought if he was just a little bit more reserved, Edison, it would have given a bit of doubt for the striker and the defenders would have got across. It was very odd and he got nutmegged on both of them actually. Yeah, he did, yeah. yeah. I, w- I wonder if he's sort of uh, got it in his head a bit too much that he needs to come flying out all the time and, yeah. and maybe he needs to learn to when to stay on his line and when to come out a little bit more. Um, City thought they'd got back into this game when Laporte uh, equalised but the goal was disallowed for a handball from Gabriel Jesus in the build-up. Did you have any complaints about that decision, Alex? No, no. It's a handball for me. I know, I, I think it sort of hits like the side of his chest and sort of on the top of his arm but I mean I know people have been confused by what the handball law really is at the moment but yeah for me that was pretty pretty clear and obvious well it's all this t-shirt line stuff's kind of muddy in the water yeah really but I mean even when you look at it at first glance you could sort of see that his arms were like he almost looked like he'd caught the ball. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't think that was yeah and, and a bad decision at all. Got control of the ball with the because of it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it doesn't help. Kevin De Bruyne was interviewed about it afterwards, and he sort of said that he doesn't know what the rule is, and I, I can't help but feel that like we're sort of confusing the issue a little bit by players coming out and claiming ignorance about things. Sometimes, like I don't know if De Bruyne's probably not seen a replay of it at that point, but. Surely he should sort of look at that and go, yeah, it was handball. I think at any, I, yeah, I don't even think that that, yeah, like I said, that's not anything to do with the new law, though, I don't think. I think even 
you know, 10, 15 years ago, that's a handball. You know, it's sort of hit his arm and he's got control of the ball because of it. So, yeah, I, yeah, there's no issue with that one for me, yeah. to be honest. I think a bigger moment was when De Bruyne had that great chance that he he, he shot and, De, and uh, Gabriel Jesus blocked it with his arse. Yes, yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. yeah. Oh, and, I, and, I actually, and I think, actually, what City were really missing was uh, Sergio Aguero. You know, he's... I think he started 20 games out of the last 46 since you know start of last season, which really isn't enough. And I think they really need to, well, I'm sure they are, the City backroom staff really need to consider signing someone else in January or because this clearly isn't good enough to be leading that line, not on a regular basis anyway. You know, he does a job for the squad, but yeah, I just don't think he's a good enough yeah. all-round striker for the game that they want to play. Um, yeah, and I think that Saturday really showed up that they missed Aguero and his, like, his really clever movement he does in, in the channels and especially yeah. when Tottenham were dropping back with the five at the back, Aguero yeah. would have been able to find that half yard and, and you know, at least had a, or made Lloris work with a shot. So, yeah, I think that's something that City really, really needs to think about. Yeah, well, I, w- I was thinking about this during the game. I mean, City's two big problems at the moment are massive problems in that they're too easy to play through and they're struggling to score goals. They've got just 10 goals so far this season, as you mentioned. Yeah. Still haven't scored at Spurs' new stadium in three visits there. <laughs> um, and I, just, I kind of feel like I they need, they need it, it's a bit of a ghost thing to say, but they need a refresh up front. They need a new kind of like marquee striker signing. It's been a while since since they've had one of those and you know Riyad Mahrez was probably the last one and at the time I didn't think that was a particularly brilliant signing I don't think it's gone particularly well it's certainly not going well at the moment so obviously Lionel Messi is the one that sort of jumps to mind <laughs> as, as the, the talk that everyone uh, you know everyone's talking about but do you think Messi's the answer Alex or, or should they go for someone a bit younger maybe I mean you'd you I mean you'd be I mean I saw today that apparently they've given up on their pursuit of Messi but if Messi is available you'd and it's so difficult to like not say yes to him but personally I would go all out for Haaland or Mbappe probably Haaland to be honest for the way City play I just think he'd be so good at that in that Man City team he's you know he's basically got everything he's 20 and yeah you're getting messy for one one and a half seasons two seasons absolutely max Mm -hmm. if you pay I don't know whatever it is whatever the release clause is for Haaland you get him for potentially the next 10 years so yeah, that's a bit of a no-brainer, to be honest. And then in two years from now, if if you get Messi for two years, then in two years from now, Haaland and Mbappe, they're probably all they've probably had a big move to someone else, and you can't sign them anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Toro Martinez is one that I'd maybe be interested in. Yeah. You know, pretty pretty similar to Aguero, isn't he? I think if if you're going to try and replace Aguero, then just try and sign a player that's very similar to him is probably a way to do it. Harry Kane to City, hmm. Matt. Is yeah. that something that might uh, worry you at some point in the future? There was I, some I, chat I, today I, about Guardiola fancies him. Nah, I, I've said it before. I don't think Kane's leaving, and not because I'm, not because I'm being super hopeful that he's leaving. Of course, I am. I just think that his, for some reason, his injuries put off the big clubs from paying crazy money. If you're going to pay a stupid amount of money for a player right now, which is what he's worth to Tottenham, you know, over a hundred million, um, why not spend it on Mbappe or Martinez or Haaland instead? Mm. I really, th- although having said that, Matt, I really think Kane's on for like an all-time Premier League season this season. You know, I, I think got, so too. He's got was it nine assists in nine games now? He's sort of. Yeah. He, this looks like he sort of you know like Ronaldo oh six oh seven where he went from like really good to like genuinely world class, unstoppable. I think yeah like that, and I, he looks so. I was guilty as anyone saying Kane was a bit of a one-trick pony, but. He's changed his game and he's just become such an amazing all-round striker now. Probably one of the best, mm. like, definitely one of the best in the world. And I think yeah. Mourinho's obviously got into his head somehow and sort of turned him into this false nine type mm. player and <laughs> it's working absolute wonders. I've, yeah, I, I'm I so will, impressed I with the start though, of the season. And not to, not to call you out of this, Alex, this is something that Spurs <laughs> fans have been saying for about five years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, kid, I kid you not, there was a compilation video of his passing and his assists and he was doing it about three years ago. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Maybe it's, maybe it's because Son's but gone up a level just, and is and is finishing the chances, yeah, and you know he's playing exactly. with slightly different players. He's he's getting a bit more of the acclaim, but that, yeah, I think difference. he's been brilliant this season. So so good. And also, we're forgetting this isn't a very um, small amount of games. Like if you if you spread these nine assists out a thirty eight game season, 
you're kind of like, eh, he does it every so often. But if you yeah. jam-pack them into the first quarter of the season, it obviously looks a bit better as well. <laughs> Where does this result leave the title race for you, Matt? I mean, I know how I feel about City's chances. Not very good at <laughs> this moment in time. I feel like a, like a back to how I was a few weeks ago when I think it's just going to be a transition season. City aren't going to get anywhere near it. But do you think Spurs can win it? And, and if they don't win it, will they still finish above City? Um... I think potentially they'll finish above City. I can't see Spurs winning it. And I know that's the negative Spurs fan in me coming out. Um, I just, history has always led me to believe that something Spursy will happen. And for every, <laughs> for every, for every Manchester City result, for every Manchester United, you know, 6-1 result, there's, there's a West Ham capitulation in there somewhere, mm. you know, and there's, there's always a Spursy result just around the corner. And it's that that kind of keeps me from, from really heart and soul saying we've got a chance here. And it's a shame, um, you know, because uh, next weekend is Chelsea away. Um, and historically, regardless of what's happening, of which team goes out of this, that and the other and Chelsea this, and they could have everyone injured. It does not matter. This is Tottenham at Stamford Bridge. And it just doesn't happen there. Well, Spurs, I, have, I, yeah, they've got Chelsea, then they've got, then it's the North Arsenal. London derby, and then they've yeah. got Liverpool all be- and Leicester all before Christmas. So And Wolves. Yeah, and Wolves on Boxing Day. So it's going to be a really interesting month. Uh, and then especially, you know, then you get into the new year and then if they, obviously, if they qualify through the group stages of the Europa League and get further on in that competition, the season is already really, really tough as it is, you know, without the COVID, you know, condensed schedule mm. so it's going to be by the time february march comes around if tottenham still are in the conversation then i think you can definitely say that they're in with a chance but that's the thing i would say i would say and it, it sounds obviously a long way off um but for the next 20 games until match day 30 or so i wouldn't even sort of think about it <laughs> I think I'm in the right I, I'm not, because you know there's just too much football to play but yeah like like you said Heading into the new year after all these tough games, then we'll see. Yeah. But, you know, in one week's time when we've inevitably lost at Stamford Bridge, that will be the <laughs> biggest game. If, if Spurs win that, then I'll start to take them all seriously. <laughs> Just before we move on from this game, I have to say it was Mike Dean, the referee. You can always tell when Mike Dean's the referee, can't you? Because people talk about Mike Dean <laughs> yeah. being the referee. And my favourite moment in this game, I, w- I was watching it without um, the crowd, the fake crowd noise, so you can hear all the shouts and stuff. Mm. And you could hear someone on the city bench, I don't know who it was, I don't know if it was a player, a member of staff or something, shouting, Dino, you're just going off the shouts man it's, a, <laughs> it's the most Sunday league thing I've ever heard yeah. in a professional game before it was so good it's so funny. I didn't realise that they actually talked like that at the professional level but brilliant yeah. amazing uh, Liverpool have now gone a club record 64 games unbeaten at Anfield after they won 3-0 against Leicester on Sunday night all these problems with injuries and what have you but they just keep sidestepping all the obstacles put in front of them don't they Alex yeah they do They, I mean I really think Liverpool are by far the best team in the league and will actually win the league quite comfortably, to be honest, despite Jurgen Klopp's protestations about injuries and fixture pileups and all that sort of stuff. I think they've conceded, what, three goals in seven games since Van Dijk's been injured. They just, even with, you know, a sort of threadbare back four. I mean, actually, it wasn't even that threadbare, was it? They still had some really good players out and they just looked so much better than Leicester, who were a good team. And I think, actually, the biggest difference to their to their starting eleven. Uh, since all these injuries is the return of Allison. Mm. he looks you know he's such a good goalkeeper probably the best in the world and makes such a difference to that team as a whole um, yeah I thought they looked really 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 good really good yeah well Diogo Jota is looking really good I mean, mm. it, was, it was a pretty good header from Johnny Evans on the first goal the own goal um, even better one from Jota to make it 2-0 um, as Opta's Duncan Alexander pointed out on Twitter Jota's got four home goals from open play this season whereas Man City's whole team have only got two and Arsenal <laughs> have only got one <laughs> I, I knew Jota was going to be a good signing when they made it uh, Matt but did you expect it to be this good and do you think he's the signing of the summer um, for some reason, I seem to think that he still, for me, isn't isn't really the level of player that Liverpool have got are used to up front. Mm. And I don't perceive him as that kind of big signing because I still don't think he's a regular starting eleven player. He, you know, th- this seems to be a good purple patch, and he's getting a lot of goals. But as soon as the whole team's fit, he's out. Am I right? Or 
Well, I was going to ask you, Alex, what is Liverpool's best front three? I mean, I quite quite liked when they went to a 4-2-3-1 and played all four of them. I can't remember what (laughs) game that was a few weeks ago. Yeah, Yeah, that's it. And they looked really, really good. That first half, they were unbelievable. So maybe they'll they'll do that going forward. But I know what you mean, Matt, but I I just, I don't see how Jota is droppable at the moment. He's he's probably, he is their best attacker at the moment. I thought Firmino had a good game as well, but yeah, Jota looks looks really, really good. And I think the way that he's adapted so quickly, you have to say that that's, um, you know, the backroom staff have obviously done well to get him as a target and get the deal done quickly and well done. But, Klopp's management is a big thing there. You know, everyone in that Liverpool team, even someone like Curtis Jones, who's coming in, he's a youngster, immediately knows his job and knows what his role is in that team. Um, and that's down to the manager and, and his staff. And obviously, the, a lot of the work's gone on in the training ground to, to make that happen. So, yeah, just Liverpool keep rolling on. And every, like every single part of that club really well at the moment. And yeah, that's why I think they'll... They're steamrolled in the league again, to be honest, yeah, come the I'm end of the season. Yeah, I'm sick of it, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you mentioned uh, Curtis Jones there, actually, Alex. Are you a fan of his, Matt? He was excellent in this game. Yeah, I am. I, I thought, when because you're so used um, to seeing like the same Liverpool team, right, week in, week out for the last yeah. few seasons, and you look at all of the players they had to bring in, whether it's a youngster um, whether it's a kind of uh, more experienced player who, you know, the backups who aren't very good. I feel like Curtis Jones is the easiest one to put in. Mm. For me, he just seems to stand above the rest um, when it comes to, you know, they had Harvey Elliott, obviously he's out on loan and do you bring Williams in in this position? Um, yeah, the, the, there's quite a few different questions, but for me, he's out of the... Um, He's out of the questionable realm. You know, he's in the fully, fully fledged first team player. I think he's a really, really good, uh, good signing. And it's probably, um, sorry, good player, not good signing. And uh, it's probably one of the easier decisions that Klopp has to make when he's got injuries or suspensions or this, that and the other. You know, he doesn't have to worry too much about, um, about his performance or what he's going to bring to the team because, yeah, he's so, so good. Yeah, a lot of talk before this game about Leicester. You know, they've they've started well. They've been playing well lately, and it was Brendan Rodgers coming back to haunt threadbare Liverpool. But <laughs> they, they were well beaten in the end, weren't they, Alex? And what, what, where do you think this leaves us on the Brendan Rodgers fraudometer? <laughs> um, I mean, they just didn't turn up, did they? they yeah. Lit from minute one, they were just they just really didn't turn up. And I think sometimes. Yeah, people got get a little bit excited about Leicester and have been because of how well they did last season at the start of this season. Um, but I think they're just one of those teams where they can beat a side away from home, like they did with Arsenal, or they can lose. You know, they're just one of those sort of the sort of top six sides in the Premier League, and it was just one of those days where they didn't turn up. But they've I'm just looking at their fixtures now, and they've got Fulham, Sheffield United, and Brighton in the next three games. Right. And 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 if they lose one of those games, then you'll think, oh yeah, the fraudometer's gonna be <laughs> gonna be buzzing. It's but be um, isn't it? Yeah, but, but at the moment, yeah, I just I think it was just one of those days where they just yeah got outplayed by the best team in the league. And I don't think it's anything to worry about too much. I, I seem to remember last season when Leicester lost to Liverpool, that was the sort of start of their mad run where they lost loads at the end of the season. So, yeah, maybe it could be repeated this time. But, yeah, I'm, I'm not so sure. I think it was, yeah, it was mainly down to Liverpool being amazing that they, that they lost, to be honest. Do you think it puts them right out of the title picture, Matt, Leicester? Um, not yet, because I think, uh, like Alex said earlier, when it comes to February-March time, we have no idea how teams' schedules are going to look, how the injuries are going to look. It's going to be a very unpredictable season off the pitch. So I think on it, to rule them out of it at the moment, no, but purely because I don't think anyone aside from Liverpool have the capability of going on a run and absolutely you know, tearing away from the rest of the pack. I think everyone's got a dodgy week in them or a dodgy few weeks. <laughs> That's it. We've been talking all season about this is the most unpredictable season. Anything could happen. Anyone could beat anyone, and Liverpool is going to stroll the title out. The win might be exactly. Points. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Chelsea temporarily went top of the league when they won two 0 at Newcastle in Saturday's early kickoff. That's just one goal conceded in Chelsea's last seven matches in all competitions. Alex, you've been critical of, of them defensively in the past. Do you think they've now got the defence and the goalkeeper required to mount a title challenge? Maybe not this season, but but in the next couple of years perhaps I'd I mean if they do mount a title challenge this season I think it would be down due in part or in large part to the inconsistency of the rest of the teams in the league 
Um, I mean, they beat Newcastle, who were dreadful. They beat Sheffield United before that, who were dreadful. They beat Burnley, who were dreadful. And then they drawn with Man United, they drawn with Southampton, they drawn with West Brom. I, uh, I don't know. I, I really like Mendy, and I think Thiago Silva, I didn't really expect him to do as well as he has done in the, at this stage, but... I just I find them so hard to like get a grasp of. Really, they they're just they're one of those sides. They've got so much going forward, and they signed really really well. And you know, Zayats looks great. Ben Chilwell settled really well. Um, Vernon, his assist for the Tammy Abraham goal was brilliant. But um, yeah, I just I, I just don't think they're at that level of of Liverpool and even Man City on their on their best day just yet. I, th- I think they'll they'll finish top four. I'd be surprised if they didn't, but. Yeah, they they've beaten the teams that you would expect them to beat at the moment. So I I would I wouldn't get too excited just yet if I was a Chelsea fan. They had no Thiago Silva for this game, so they had Zuma and Rudiger playing, and there was a mistake from Rudiger in the second half that very nearly led to an equaliser. I think it was Isaac Hayden blazed one over the bar. So yeah, it just yeah. Kind of shows you doesn't it? A better team might well have uh, punished them there. Yeah, and and, it's, and like you say, it's Tottenham on Saturday, which is going to be a really really interesting game. Mm. So yeah, maybe after that game we can sort of get a handle on them a little bit more. Yeah. Well, Tommy Abraham, you mentioned there, he scored 23 goals since the start of last season. That's more than any other Chelsea player during that period. He really looks like he belongs there, doesn't he, Matt? Yeah, I'm really impressed by him. I thought last season he was amazing and I kind of feared for him a bit. Towards the back end of last season, Giroud was in the team um, and really sort of helped them the last 10 games or so. And then obviously signing Timo Werner and and I mean Havertz and Ziyech aren't exactly uh, taking Abraham's role but just there were so many attacking options I really feared for his development overall and even if he'd get the minutes but he's he's stuck at it and proven his worth and I think to keep the likes of Werner not out of the team but to sort of have Werner not in that main central role and really kind of stake his claim to be the Chelsea striker um, he's done really, really well. And I think, yeah, the goals the goals are proving that. And like you said, Werner's assist for Abraham shows that maybe they can play together as well. It's, it's like with the Jota thing. What is Chelsea's best team if everyone's fit? Mm. And where would Abraham and Werner play? I think um, perhaps any other Chelsea manager other than Frank Lampard, the pressure would be to just keep playing Havertz and Ziyech, even if they and weren't the playing. Yeah, even yeah. if they weren't playing well. But I think Lampard has got the sort of trust of the board that, and Abramovich in particular, that if Havertz isn't having a good game, he can drop him and he can start Abraham and Werner in the like in the same starting eleven, which obviously yeah. did at the weekend. And I think that actually works a lot better for them. It certainly showed that in the first eight nine games. I I like Werner. I think he's he's an amazing striker. He's an amazing finisher. He does, because of his pace, he does really, really well when Chelsea can play on the counter-attack mm. and sort of attack those spaces in behind, which is how he got that, that the assist at the weekend. I, I'm a bit more cautious about him in sort of the bigger game, especially Tottenham at the weekend is, going to, again, going to be really interesting. Tottenham won't allow those sort of spaces. So that's when Abraham comes into his own, really, and can sort of be the hold-up man and link in players. So, yeah, I, I think Abraham's got still got, a, despite all the signings, he's still got a really, really big future yeah. at Chelsea. And, yeah, they'd be, not that they will let him go, but they'd be mad to let him go just because they've signed a load of new players. I think he's a, yeah, he's an excellent striker and sort of proved his, proved his worth, definitely. Yeah, mm. that run for Tino Werner's assist in this game really reminded me of Aiden Hazard, actually. yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe he's that long term replacement. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was crazy. I think he. I think the other players were a bit slow, but it looked like you're on FIFA. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> ninety nine pace. It was crazy. <laughs> I get the sense, Matt, that Newcastle fans are, are at the end of the tether with Steve Bruce now. I mean, do you think he should be doing a better, a lot better with the, the players at his disposal, or is he doing about right for the squad that he's got? I, I actually think they should be doing better. I'm not quite sure. When Steve Bruce was brought in, I thought this is a bit of a big step back, considering how good Rafa Benitez is as a coach. Um, I just didn't really quite get it. Steve Bruce, for me, is the one where you haven't really got an identity, but you just want to stay up. <laughs> yeah. You know, you just you just want to see yourself to 40 points and then maybe a cup run as a bonus. If you're going to be, you know, trusting him with forty million pound signings in Joel Inton, in twenty whatever it was, twenty five million pound signings in Almiron, um, Alanson Maximan, if you're going to be trusting a manager with quality attacking talents, 
you need to have a coach who's going to get the best out of them. And I almost feel like they're above Steve Bruce's pay grade. You know, that he needs yeah. to ring up he needs to ring up Guardiola and say, how do you use attacking players in an attacking system? Because, you know, he hasn't got a clue. He's just used to digging out results and avoiding relegation. I think this is a bit above Steve Bruce's pay grade, to be honest. And the fact that Joel Linton's got, what is it, three goals in a year and a bit or something? Yeah. Um, really kind of tells you that he isn't quite capable of inspiring an attacking force. Well, they're, they're bottom on almost every conceivable attacking metric that you look at. So, like, <laughs> exactly. you know, goals scored, chances created, shots on target, XG, they're pretty much in the bottom three of the of the division. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's a stopgap, isn't he? He always has been exactly. a stopgap. And they've, yeah, I mean, I like him. He's obviously, he's clearly a nice bloke and he always comes across well in, pre- in the press conferences and all that sort of stuff. And, yeah. you know, you don't want to wish ill on him, but yeah, he's just, I just don't think he's a particularly good manager, to be honest. And as long as he's in charge, they're all, they're always just going to finish the zone and, and around the mid table. And I think, you know, obviously they had the summer where the takeover was happening, wasn't happening, was happening again, and then it finally didn't. So that was obviously a lot of upheaval. But they did spend yeah. some money and bring in some really good players. You know, Callum Wilson's a really good player. Ryan Fraser's a really good player. Jamal Lewis is a good player. So they should be, they really should be hoping for more, to be honest. You know, like I say, he's, yeah, he's just the stopgap and they just sort of seem to have been stuck with him now for, for, for a bit too long. But... Um, yeah, it's, yeah, they they were poor and they have been all season, really. So, Steve, yeah. Steve Bruce must be the only person who's happy that takeover didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, because that that is that is a crime if you're a brand new multi billionaire club and you think actually, no, what we'll stick with Steve Bruce. <laughs> well, it tells it tells you everything that he left the he got the Newcastle job and he walked out of Sheffield Wednesday to get it. That was where he was. He was sort of middle exactly. of the championship and he walked into the Newcastle job when Rafa left. And yeah, so he's yeah, he, yeah. I just I think they need to get rid of him sooner rather than later. That's the thing with him though, isn't it? It's, it? It was an embarrassing appointment at the time, and everyone said, "Oh, it's going to be relegation definitely for Newcastle this season." Uh, um, they stayed up, you know, pretty comfortably. And then you get people going, oh, all those people who said Steve Bruce was going to get them relegated look silly now, don't they? But yeah. Really, because Newcastle have never been in any danger the past couple of seasons, really. I, you know, last season and this one have been relegated, I don't think. Which makes you just think, it's, would it even be a risk to hire someone else who's a bit more high profile, who plays a, a bit more attractive style of football, given the squad mm. they've got, the sort of dreck that's in this league? Like, I just think Newcastle would stay. I think I could keep Newcastle <laughs> like, quite I think <laughs> just a bit more ambition yeah. and risk could, could really serve them well. And you're not going to lose any friends doing that, are you, really? I don't think nah. played a bit played a bit more expansive. I get. I guess the only the only like thing is if the takeover is eventually going to happen, the value of the club will plummet dramatically if they are in the championship. Mm. And Mike Ashley isn't obviously going to. He doesn't. As long as they're in the Premier League, he doesn't care. Yeah. So I th- yeah, yeah. So I think it probably he won't get sacked anytime soon because it's just too much of a risk at the moment, especially whilst there is still talk of the takeover. So, yeah, apologies, Newcastle fans. I think you might be stuck with it for a little bit longer. Oh, dear. <laughs> uh, Manchester United might be stuck with their manager for a bit longer because they sure, won again. <laughs> they're, yeah. they're, they're above Manchester City in the table now after labouring to victory over West Brom <laughs> on Saturday night. Uh, I saw someone asking on Twitter, actually, Alex, why Solskjaer is still getting more flack than Guardiola and Arteta when he's above them in the table. I guess it's a, a fair question. Do you think he is getting more flack than them? And, and if so, why is that? Because he's shite. Man United is <laughs> shite. Um, they're just crap, aren't they? They're just so bad to watch. It's just like, oh, they just have no plan. Their plan is to get a penalty. I just, yeah, I think, and that's the reason. At least, you know, obviously Arsenal aren't doing particularly well at the moment, but you can sort of see what if it's not particularly exciting. But with Solskjaer, like, what is he trying to do? I just, I really don't understand. They've, I think it's been, they've scored one goal from open play this season at Old Trafford. Is that right? At Van der Beek, so, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's been like 300 min- odd minutes between between goals at Old Trafford. So they're just, they're just really, really, really boring. And they're just, and in this, in, you know, this is the se- an inconsistent season where teams are sort of losing unexpected games or whatever. This could have been the year that Man United sort of really tried to mount a title challenge, but they just they just can't do it. I just I just don't see what they're supposed to be doing. I, you know, Van der Beek's not getting a game. Rashford's 
yeah, doesn't look to be totally on it at the moment. Um, in midfield, they're just a bit wishy-washy, I think. I just, yeah, I just, I don't really know what Man United are, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. And I, and I think, and you can't say that they wouldn't be better with a Pochettino in charge or, or you know, Nagelsmann or whoever. They just, mm. yeah, it's just... Yeah, run conversation no- every single week. Well, that's it. And they're, they're just, they're nothing. And they will continue to be nothing once when, when Solskjaer's in charge, as far <laughs> as I'm concerned. Did you see that tweet over the weekend where someone said, when I have a son, I'm going to name it Van der Beek so he never gets played? <laughs> well, very good. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> West Brom uh, thought they were getting a penalty in this game, but it was overturned when the referee, who was uh, David Coote, I believe, watched it back on the pitch side monitor. Was that the right call for you, Matt? I'm not entirely sure. I think it's one of them when you slow it down and you look at his toe brushing the ball, you could mm. be like, oh, he's definitely got the ball. Mm. And I think that's what happens is when he goes to the pit side monitor, he sees that. He sees that there's not much contact in his foot. And it's kind of, and I can understand why he's overturned it, but I think you'd be annoyed if it was your team and it was overturned. <laughs> yeah. See, I, I don't have a problem with this stuff. I think this is this is what VAR should be for, really, mm, to kind yeah, of look agree, at these yeah. minuscule mm. things and go, well, actually, he did touch the ball there, so it's not a penalty by the letter of the law. Yeah. But I suppose the argument against that is people saying, what happened to it being a clear, clear and obvious error? Where has that definition gone from the, the laws now? And why are we now... If, if it was that clear and obvious, then you wouldn't need to watch a 10-time slow-down replay about 20 times. Yeah, yeah. It's obviously not clear and obvious then. Uh, well, United did get a penalty. Kel fucking surprise. <laughs> ultimately won them the game. Sam Johnson saved the original effort, but it had to be retaken because he was off his line. And then Bruno Fernandes scored his 12th penalty since joining United in January. How do they get so many penalties, Alex? They've had 18 since the start of last season, which is yeah, more than anyone else in the league. It is a bit crazy. I mean, they always used to get a lot more penalties at Old Trafford when it was Ferguson. But I guess you could have chalked that off with like you know the, the crowd and, and United having more of the ball at the time and being the better team and all that sort of stuff. I really, really don't know. I guess this probably doesn't. This isn't what happened this weekend, but they're a counter-attacking team, and if you're a counter-attacking team, you're sort of more likely to be, you know, on the run up against the slow defenders, who you take the ball around and get nicked in the area or whatever. But I really, really don't know. Maybe they're just. Maybe it's something they're doing in training, or <laughs> I, I honestly don't know. But um, yeah, I think it was. I think I read somewhere now that um, Bruno Fernandes has taken five percent of uh, all the penalties Manchester United have ever received in the Premier League. Wow, which is just <laughs> insane. Yeah. Uh, but it really has become like a tactic for them, hasn't it? We'll win one nil on penalties. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah, it's just crazy. Really, really crazy. <laughs> um, Sam Johnston was saying after the game that it's really difficult to jump off your line when uh, facing a penalty. It sort of goes against everything you're taught as a goalkeeper. Um, I think we talked about this on the podcast a few weeks ago, actually, Matt. So I'll, I'll instead ask you about, mm. he, he said um, Bruno Fernandes, the sort of hopscotch penalty routine that he does. Sam Johnston reckons that should be banned. Do you agree with that? Uh, no, I don't agree it should be banned um, at all. I think players can you know do whatever they like. They can make all sorts mm. of weird, weird movements. But I think if that's allowed, then surely the goalkeeper can be allowed to step off his line, for Christ's mm. sakes. Mm. I mean, what? you know, if, if the... If, if he can use every trick in the book, Fernandez, to stop and fool him and do all this, then, then the least Johnson could do is he allowed a step. What I don't understand is why goalkeepers don't just stand a step back from their line. Yeah, good point, yeah. Does, that, surely, does, does that put you at a disadvantage, though? Sometimes? I don't know. Yeah. I honestly don't know. Surely that, that seems to just make a bit more sense to me, because then you're guaranteed... But then I guess... You could maybe save it and it would be over the line, you know. Yeah, I don't know. Oof, I really don't know. That would be gutting. Yeah. <laughs> that would be so gutting to make a save like that. I, 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 really, I really think it's one of these things that if people didn't pay attention to it, it wasn't such a big deal. No one would ever say anything about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, United's next run of games in the league all look pretty tricky on paper. They've got Southampton, West Ham, Man City, Sheffield United and Leeds all to come before Christmas. Uh, Solskjaer hinted that he expects them to pick up some form now the internationals are over until next year. Do you expect that from from them, Alex? I suspect not. I don't really expect... <laughs> yeah, I don't really expect anything from Man United, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, those, those fixtures... But then... Since Solskjaer's been in charge, they seem to have done really well against teams you don't expect them to do well against. So maybe those those fixtures, yeah, will serve off a few three points to them. I don't know, but um, yeah, I just, I just don't get excited by Man United anymore. They're just pretty dull, tedious team to watch. So yeah, <laughs> the only time they seem to hit form is when Solskjaer's on the verge of getting sacked, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Need to get um, a Pochettino back on Monday Night Football. Or exactly, whatever. yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, West Brom, a bit unlucky not to get something here. Matt, do you think that suggests their luck might turn if they keep plugging away, or, or, or are they doomed? Um, they're doomed. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they, they, they looked sort of um, a little bit tougher to beat, I'd say, certainly in the Spurs game as well, um, when Spurs scored an 89th minute winner. Um, you know, losing losing games closely, it may suggest that if they start putting the ball in the back of the net and, you know, defending a little bit better, yes. But that's also a sign that those are the things they aren't doing. You know, it's not it's not so easy to uh to to go and get a couple of goals. And I just think with West Brom they just don't have the consistency to ever go and do either of those. Either be a difficult team to beat and nick a goal or go out and score a few and it doesn't matter if you concede. And I don't think they've got the quality to do either, really. Mm. Um they're certainly a favourite for me alongside that dross that Scott Parker's got going in West London. <laughs> well, let's talk about them now, shall we? Because Everton got back to winning ways with a 3-2 win away at struggling Fulham on Sunday. Dominic Calvert-Lewin scored the opening goal after just 42 seconds. Alex, can you imagine a worse feeling for a manager than your entire game plan unraveling inside the first minute like that? I mean, uh, it's pretty bad, but I'd be amazed if Scott Parker had a game plan, to be honest. Well, uh, yeah. I, think he's, <laughs> I think he's an appalling manager, and I don't know why Fulham haven't got rid of him. I mean, I do sort of understand. He got them up unexpectedly, but... Yeah, they don't really know why he's dropped Ruben Lopez-Cheek or Anguissa. When they both came on, they totally changed the game for Fulham. But yeah, like Matt said there, I'd say they're an absolute shoo-in to go down, to be mm. perfectly honest. Yeah, and just conceding within yeah the first few minutes sort of sums them up, really. They sort of... They're not switched on from the start. They just they don't really know entirely what they're doing, and yeah, they they've been poor all season, really. Yeah, yeah. and I yeah, very much expect them to go down come the end of the come the end of the season. I mean, they responded fairly well to to conceding that first goal. They equalised through Bobby Cordova Reed, and then Calvert Lewin made it two one with his tenth goal of the season. Yeah. He's looking pretty decent bet for the Golden Boot, isn't he, Matt? Yeah, if he wasn't playing in a league with such other quality strikers, I'd say so. Um, but I think he's brilliant. I said at the start of the season, I said he is the guy to look out for because for me, he really he really kind of epitomises a, a forward these days that can do everything. Yeah. You know, there doesn't appear to be a massive weakness in his game. And he's so young that he can, you know, continue to learn um, and continue to improve, especially under Ancelotti. And I just think now that he's got really quality players around him to provide him with service, especially the likes of, I mean, Luca Dino was insane. Yeah. Um, you know, with, with a couple of assists. And obviously, Hammers is behind him as well. Um, and Richarlison alongside him, too. So, yeah, I, I don't see why not. I don't think he's, he's one of these players that's a little bit odd that he isn't necessarily going to be relied on to drag the team. Um, to success, and so I don't think that he'll be, you know, the one they always look to for goals. You know, maybe him and Richarlison would share thirty between them would be absolutely fine, uh, yeah. as opposed to him grabbing thirty by himself and getting a getting a golden boot. I think he he made a massive difference as well, Richarlison. He, him and Calvert Lewin mm. together, they're ever in a, a completely different team when when it's those two up front. I think yeah, he's he's actually I would sort of. Do you remember when he was linked with Barcelona in January? And I just sort of, I don't know, I just found that ridiculous and couldn't believe it was going to potentially happen. But the more you look at it, mm. I think Richarlison's, yeah, really properly brilliant striker. And yeah, him coming back has sort of made, yeah, definitely made a difference difference for them despite the <laughs> Calvert-Lewin goals. Why would he take a step down mm. from Everton? To <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very true. Well, you mentioned Luca Dean there, Matt. I mean, Everton have got some great players. Um, Richarlison, James Rodriguez, Colt Lewin, you name it. Um, Luca Dean is the one of one of them that I would say is probably a bit too good for Everton and probably should be playing at a high level. Do you agree with that, Alex? Yeah, I, I think he's absolutely superb. He's yeah, definitely one of the as long with Trent Alexander Arnold, one of the one of the best fullbacks in the league. And yeah, his crossing's brilliant, his set piece delivery is amazing. He's got an engine. I don't know, it just seems to really work in that Everton team. And yeah, he's um mm. I mean, I was gonna say he could sign for a top six club. I don't know whether Everton fans would be too pleased with that, but um yeah, he could I think he's definitely one of one of the best defenders in the league. And yeah, he was he was brilliant again at the weekend. And and I think he's just consistent, isn't he? He's you know, he's sort of regularly He's probably not ever ten out of ten, but he's sort of every week he's eight out of ten. And and if you want to do well in the Premier League, you need you absolutely need players like that. So, yeah, he's been a great signing for them. He's sort of his games come on to a 
yeah, whole new level this season, I think, under Ancelotti. So, yeah, as long as he can stay fit, which hasn't always been the case with him, um, yeah, he could, he's, he could do some good things for Everton, I think. Yeah, I mean, I mean, don't disrespect to Everton at all by saying that, but I just think he's a he's a Champions League quality player. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he'll be playing Champions League football for Everton one of these days. <laughs> you never know. Well, that's that's why he was at Barcelona in the first place, Exactly, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was good enough. You just kind of think, why did no one else buy him from Barcelona in that case? Or, or yeah. Mm. Uh, well, Fulham uh, did come back into the game in the second half. First of all, they had a great chance uh, to get back into it from the penalty spot, but they missed. Who's, <laughs> whose miss was worse, do you think, Matt? Was it even Cavalero's in this game or Adamola Lookman's against West Ham the other week? Oh, Lookman's. Lookman's yeah, by yeah, a million yeah. miles. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. Ca- Ca- Cavalero's slipped, which is unfortunate. Lookman intentionally did that penalty, and that <laughs> is just. Yeah, that's absolutely awful. That that needs to be the highlight of Fulham's season. That's it. Just remember when they did this, because they certainly aren't going to produce any other highlights. I think they've missed three penalties now. Which well, they've is... missed they've missed half wow. their penalties that they've ever had in the Premier League. Really? So it's, uh, so it's not a recent thing. In the Premier League. So it's pardon. They've only had six penalties. No, no. So they've missed. So they they've had twenty eight penalties, ah, and well, they've okay. missed thirteen of them. Oh. In the yeah, in the Premier League, so it's oh. not a uh, it's not a new thing. It's just a Fulham thing. <laughs> well, Danny Murphy was on match today, who used to take penalties for Fulham quite well, as I recall. And he was sort of analysing this, and he was saying that the way that Cavalera ran up to the ball at like a thirty eight degree angle is the reason he slipped because he kind of kicked the ball into his standing foot when he was trying to put mm. it in the opposite corner. Do you think that's that's a that's a thing, Alex? Is, yeah, that's you quite make a nice straight run up when you're taking. The yeah, that's quite an astute uh, observation, I think, by Danny Murphy. Yeah, it, I think he just. Yeah, that that sort of odd angle. I can I could sort of see what he was trying to do, and it would have looked great if if he'd sort of struck it cleanly. But obviously, he didn't. I'd, the same with like the Jorginho Jorginho run up. I I don't like that either. Mm. I just maybe I'm old school. Brexit means Brexit, but just <laughs> uh, run up and hit it as hard as you can and put your foot through. It's a simple game, complicated by idiots, as uh, a great man once said. <laughs> uh, Brighton got their first ever victory at Villa Park when they won 2 1 there on Saturday. Alex, are Villa the messiest bitches in the Premier League? You just never, <laughs> you just never know what you're going to get from them, do you? I mean, they beat right. Liverpool 7 2 and then they've lost three home games in a row now. I don't, I just don't yeah, know. I, oh my God. I, I don't, yeah. I've, I mean, I like Dean Smith, the same as Steve Bruce, really. So it so comes across really well. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know what. Villa are or what they're meant to be doing like Ollie Watkins looks like a world beating striker one week and then he isn't the next they've got Jack Greenish he's probably one of the best players in the league but yeah they still can't beat Brighton at home same with Ross Barkley sort of looked rejuvenated a few weeks ago and now looks back to his uh, Chelsea Ross Barkley so yeah they just Mm. they were a bit all over the place in this game and um, yeah but but I thought Brighton played really well it was nice to see Danny Welbeck scoring again which uh, isn't something that I'd uh, thought yeah which isn't something that I thought I'd see for a while so yeah and I really like Graham Potter as well he's he's, has all the right ideas I think and um, I'm glad that Brighton took a chance in him or given him given him time to sort of implement his ideas because yeah I'd I'd like to see like to see Brighton do well so yeah that was uh yeah, it was, it was a good performance from them, I thought. I was slagging Graham Potter off the other week, actually. And I think oh, it's, yeah. it's a bit of a common theme this season that every time I slag someone off, they go and prove me wrong. The <laughs> week, so. Pep Guardiola is a fucking idiot. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, which goal was your favourite, uh, Matt? Was it Danny Welbeck's or Solly March's in this game? I thought Welbeck's took his very well. Yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, he doesn't nice. always strike me as a, a, a composed player to kind of do that. Um, and it looked like, you know, he was a guy banging form, you know, five, five or six goals behind him this season, doing it on the regular. That didn't look like a in and out of the team, always injured kind of player. With, very, with his, I, I wonder how having no crowd helped there. I think um, if you're starting you're with the ball on the halfway line, running through on goal and you've got so much, you've got all the time to think, all in the world to think about it, but then you've got a crowd sort mm. of, Jeering you. I wonder whether the yeah the lack of noise really helped Danny Welbeck there. A bit of a mm. bit of a training ground goal, but yeah, it was a brilliant finish. That was Welbeck's yeah, was brilliant. definitely my favourite. Mm. Yeah, looked, looked back to his old self for that one. Shout out for Solly March's goal though. That was a lovely finish. Yeah, lovely yeah, it was, a good, it was yeah. a good finish. Well, March almost went from hero to zero in this one. Villa got a golden chance to equalise in stoppage time when they got a penalty, but the decision was overturned when referee Michael Oliver looked at the pitch side monitor and decided March had got a touch on the ball before clipping Trezeguet. A little bit like the one at Old Trafford. Was that a good decision for you, Matt? That that's what I was about to say it's kind of like the old Trafford one if you slow it down and look at the clip you can say oh well 
he's got the ball first, so everything after that is deemed irrelevant. Um, I guess that's what happens when you slow it down. But yeah, yeah. I guess that we, we have to praise VAR. You know, you've you got to give it its good points, otherwise we just be slacking it off yeah. every week. <laughs> so we've we, we got to be kind to it every so often. Jack Grealish tweeted VAR LMAO, which I thought was a pretty <laughs> succinct summary of his feelings on the matter. <laughs> Do you, you always hear people talking about what a great referee Michael Oliver is, the best in the Premier League. Is he the best in the Premier League, Alex? What makes him such a good ref? I don't, I don't really, I find it hard to differentiate between referees personally. I think the standard of referee generally in the Premier League is quite bad to be honest at the moment I th- it's difficult you know you can't fully fight like get these things unless you're like playing and on the pitch with the referee but a good referee for me would be someone who communicates properly yeah. and is mm. willing to actually talk to the players and and he does seem to like listen to the players Michael Oliver and that's probably why players respect him a lot more than other referees um, but yeah, that that is an incredibly low bar. I think being the best <laughs> best referee in the Premier League, world's tallest dwarf. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Leeds held Arsenal to a 0-0 draw at Ellen Road on Sunday, meaning Arsenal have still scored just nine goals this season. That's their lowest tally for 34 years. Um, given Mikel Arteta's Guardiola protégé and both City and Arsenal are struggling for goals at the moment, does it suggest this style of football is a bit incompatible with the league at the moment, Matt? No, I wouldn't say so, because I think sometimes... I always feel like when you play this style of football, and more so with Guardiola, with Bikel Arteta, there just always seems to be the odd match or two or a little purple patch where everything returns to normal. Yeah. When, when, when suddenly Guardiola, when the passing happens, when De Bruyne is on form and they go and win 5-0, when you think, well, hold on a minute, mm. I thought this team were past it. I thought Guardiola was, you know, a ball <laughs> fraud. And I, I thought, you know, this and that, and suddenly they turn around and they whoop someone's ass, and you're like, ah, everything clicked into place. I can't see that happening with Arsenal because I don't think they've got the same quality. Um but yeah, I would I would put Arsenal. It sounds a bit harsh. A slightly more towards the the Solskjaer sort of what really is going on, mm. um, what really is their their aim. Where is Aubameyang's best position? Why on earth is Nicola Pepe in the first team? Um, you know, there's there's too many questions over over the players rather than their their style. Um, to sort of say that he's too similar to Guardiola. Yeah, it's only a few weeks ago we were talking about Arsenal and saying they, you know, they won at Old Trafford and they sort of turned a corner and were, were really looking good again now and they've not mm. scored a goal since then and uh, yeah. everyone's, everyone's getting Arteta's back again now, aren't they? Mm. But the, the big flashpoint of this match um, saw Nicolas, Pe- Nicolas Pepe sent off for a head nudge, I guess you'd call it, on, on Alioski. Mm. Why do players do that, Alex? Especially in the VAR era. It's so stupid, yeah, it's, isn't it? it was ridiculous and Arteta was absolutely fuming after the game as well saying it was unacceptable and he'd, he'd had a go at Pepe after the game but I mean you can sort of see why Alioski was frustrating Pepe he was sort of like kept nudging him off the ball and all that sort of stuff but but you only do that as a player if you're bang out of form and have no confidence and, and a player's getting in your head and I think that's definitely what's happening to Pepe at the moment you know he arrived big 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 fee especially you know for Arsenal um, was sort of one of the most coveted players anywhere in Europe and it just hasn't worked for him at all at Arsenal. So yeah, I, I th- yeah, you can just see that yeah, his his confidence has, has clearly taken a bit of a knock and he was yeah, getting a bit yeah, well very frustrated with, <laughs> with Alioski. So yeah, but yeah, it was this very, very stupid thing to do and yeah, yeah, very stupid. I think Pepe's agent has been quoted as saying today that only Aubameyang is outperforming him at Arsenal at the moment. Like, That's not saying much though, is yeah, it? Really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kieran Turney wasn't happy with Alioski for kind of milking that situation though. Do you think he had a right to be annoyed with him there, Matt? Do you think he, he went down a bit easily or, or yeah, have, you, have you got to did. do that to kind of... I think you have to do that. Yeah. 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 You've, got, yeah. you've got to sell it. Right, yeah, yeah, you can't just the the th- the thing is, I feel like players, I feel like there used to be an unspoken agreement between players many, many years ago, where you kind of like, I'll put my head in, you put your head in, we'll bump foreheads, we'll both look well hard, it'll look good on TV. This kind of Roy Keane, Patrick Vieira, but now they've sort of, you know, it's almost who's going to be the first to back out. Because if if Alioski had sort of met Pepe's head and they'd done that little weird thing where you don't know whether they're going to spit at each other or start fighting, <laughs> then it would have been completely normal. But if one of you reacts, then yeah, it looks worse. You've basically got to be the one who plays it smarter. And like like I always say when this stuff happens, don't give the referee a decision to make in the first place. <laughs> Regardless of whether Alioski made the most of it, which he definitely did, 
just don't give the referee even the slightest possibility of sending you off by doing something as stupid as that. I always think these kind of flashpoints on a football pitch are so stupid. Like, you're never yeah. going to see someone actually throw a punch, are you? Because you yeah, get like, a 10 no match back. So just stop pretending. Just get on with the game. Like, it's pointless. <laughs> that's, it's a... that's the thing. I would believe that like when Keane was doing it or, you know, yeah. Cantona or someone back in the day, I would believe that it actually hurt you. Now I think, what are you going to do? Let's be honest. <laughs> uh, there's been a lot of clamour from Arsenal fans for Joe Willock and Reese Nelson to get more playing time. They both featured in this game. Do you think they're ready to be, be starters for Arsenal, Alex? I mean, uh, I, I Nelson more than Willock for me. I really like Nelson, but I don't think, I don't think either of them are... Of, you know, the very, very top level, yeah. I guess the only way that they improve is by game time. But I think it just sort of that's not are at the moment that the, the fans want those two to return. And Martinelli's probably the bit the same as well. You know, they're, they're sort of pinning their hopes on an 18-year-old that's played five games last season. They're just, yeah, Arsenal, like you say, it's funny how things have turned around so quickly at Arsenal. But, yeah, they were, they were really, really outplayed here. They're like properly properly outplayed Leeds could have you know should have put that game to bed long before the red cards and it was um yeah they were just yeah you could just clearly see that Leeds were were the better team and mm. um and it's just sort of yeah Arsenal were sort of a bit all at sea really so they're quite lucky to come away with the point but um yeah yeah I, I like Willock and I like Nelson but uh, yeah like I say I think it just it tells you everything you need to know about where, where Arsenal are at the moment, that they're the saviours for this week. Well, Leeds are 14th after nine games now. I mean, they don't have much to worry about at all. But Alex, do you think they should be perhaps a little bit disappointed with, with the recent results and the return so far? Yeah, I mean, you know, any other promoted club, you'd say that's an amazing return. But um, yeah, with, with this Leeds team, you know, they started so well. That, that game of... That game at Anfield and the first game of the season was just incredible, yeah. and that that that's the level that they need to reach. Sort of every game, you, do, you know. But yeah, even here, they you know they got unlucky. They hit did they hit the post three times? They hit the woodwork three yeah. times at least. And yeah, um, you know, even if but even if you know it was a nil nil, but I, I just find Leeds such an exciting team to watch. They're um, they're the the one team in the Premier League that I will sort of clear my diary to make a space for. You know, they've. <laughs> Got a got a season ticket for Leeds in, in that respect. So um, yeah, I just I think they're such an interesting team to watch. And you know, obviously people have eulogised about we also a lot uh, previous to this. But yeah, the way he's turned things around there, it tells you everything you need to know that Leeds fans are disappointed with being 14th in the Premier League right now. You know? Yeah, they're one of the most choreographed football teams I think I've ever seen. Yeah, team. yeah. When they get possession, they sort of all make off these like weird runs and stuff. Don't they? It's like an American football team. Yeah, like yeah. yeah. Uh, you mentioned well, they've had 130 shots um, this season, which is the second highest in the league. And uh, you mentioned that them hitting the post. Patrick Bamford nearly won it when he when he hit the post at the end. Matt, do you think it's just a case of Bielsa just making a few tiny little tweaks to get them back on track, winning games again? Um, yeah, I think so. But also on top of this, I've never, and I'll probably get a lot of slack for it um, if he scores lots, I've never been a Bamford fan. <laughs> I don't see, I know he got that, was it that hat-trick at Villa? I don't see him as being, you know, the experienced, um, sort of the saviour, the guy you can rely on to hit at least 15 this season you know, to turn these one points into three, to turn these losing positions into rescuing a draw that you need. Um, you know, Rodrigo was signed for, you know, really big money. And again, he really doesn't look like he's up to it. So I just think, I'm not even sure it's a few tweaks on Bielsa's part. I just think if they had a bit more of a consistent goal scorer, who's not going to, you know, score three one week and then go a few without, if they were just had a, someone a bit more consistent front of goal, yeah, they'd be fine because I don't really think Bielsa needs to make tweaks because, as, as you say, if they absolutely dominate Arsenal at home and put in a brilliant performance like they did, but they also found the back of the net with one or two of them, you know, you're looking at a 2-0 victory and everyone's saying it's a masterful performance. So I wouldn't pin it so much on Bielsa. Um, you, could, you know, I, they would have hoped for more, certainly from Rodrigo. Well, I think he's been injured. Oh, Rafinha like, looks good, by the way, though. Yeah, he does that actually. He? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rodrigo, I think he came back from injury for the under twenty threes today, if I'm not mm. mistaken. So, I think these. Uh, I think. I, I mean, I like. I like Patrick Bamford as well. The Grantham Cavani. I think he's a decent player. To yeah. Be fair, but uh, yeah. 
We'll, uh, we'll see how, how Leeds get on in the next couple of weeks. It should be interesting. Uh, West Ham are above Man United, Arsenal and Man City after their 1-0 win over Sheffield United on Sunday. <laughs> Winning goal was scored by Sebastian Allaire with the first goal uh, from outside the box of his entire career. Do you think there's still a chance he might prove to be a, a successful signing for West Ham, Alex? Um, I mean, he's a good. I think he's a good squad player. He, you know, he came from Frankfurt and he was amazing in that season when they did well in the Europa League and he was signed for a lot of money and yeah, there was a lot of expectation there. But um, yeah, I'd, I think with Mikel Antonio uh, playing and being fit and I just, I don't think Ale is ever going to get a, a consistent run in the first team as long as Antonio is fit. But He's a good player, but yeah, he, like I said, he signed for a lot of money and th- th- that sort of made the expectations way higher than they should be. But um, I actually spoke to him earlier this year um, for, a, for a big interview we did mm. on, on that app and the website. Oh, and um, he actually really, the, the, so one of the reasons that he really struggled last season was because um, his baby boy was really ill. Mm. Um, so yeah, his, he had just moved to London and his wife or yeah, fiance had a, had a newborn son who, yeah, was, was ill and he really struggled with that. So it sort of, um, shows you that, you know, players aren't robots yeah. and it's, you know, sometimes things are happening off the pitch, which, um, you know, which you don't know about. Um, and, and, you know, you can't just turn, turn things on and off like that, you know? So, um, yeah, I, I know the, the baby's definitely doing a lot better now. So yeah, oh, hopefully, sorry, yeah. hopefully that can, uh, yeah, hopefully that's given him a bit of peace of mind and yeah, he can uh, get back to doing as well as he as he did at Frankfurt. Yeah, you're right. We don't take players' personal accounts. Into no. it. I, th- I think we're a bit too bogged down in the sort of FIFA football manager kind of thing where you just expect players to be yeah. like, you know, a uh, computer game. Yeah, control. exactly. <laughs> exactly. I was thinking, uh, Matt, about David Moyes' time at Everton recently and what a brilliant job he did there. I mean, he was he was essentially the manager and the director of football at the same time with Everton. Do you think we'd kind of forgotten that he's a really good manager, you know, his time at United and Sunderland and Real Sociedad and all that? Do you think we'd we've been a bit harsh on Moyes over the years? Um Yeah, but I think uh, unfortunately he's now sort of he'll forever carry the tag around him of couldn't do it at the top level. Mm. And I think that's where, you know, a lot of players suffer from it too. You have one, you know, you get your big chance um, at a United or at a top team. And when it doesn't quite work out, you're always sort of branded with the same iron. Um, and unfortunately, yeah, you sort of think he's found his level because he has allowed that control, I think, at West Ham and at Everton. And he's allowed the time and, yeah, that's that's the thing. You forget that he is a good manager because everyone will sort of remember the United, you know, the United days. Everyone seems to remember the failures far well, I mean, more that's the than thing. they compared remember to, the success. Compared to some of his predecessors, he uh, or successors, should I say, he he had um, a really short stint in the Old Trafford. I d- hot seat, yeah, yeah. Didn't he? and I, and I don't think he's he's helped particularly by the fact that you've got someone like Klopp, for instance, um, who is such you know fans want their managers to be like big charismatic personalities now as well and I and I obviously I don't think David Moyes is that to the media anyway but you don't you know we don't know what he's like with the players on a day-to-day basis and and you can sort of see that like you say he's been given a bit of time at West Ham and and he's doing really well and I know obviously it this wasn't the case this weekend but I also think West Ham are one of the rare examples that it actually helps that there's no fans in the ground. Um, I think the, the, the London stadiums quite um, can be quite a poisonous place sometimes, especially when things aren't going well. Um, and I think yeah, the lack of the lack of fans um, has actually really helped West Ham this season. And you know the fans aren't getting on their back when there's mistakes being made and, and things like that. So. Um, yeah, I guess long may this continue if yeah, you're West Ham fan. It's a horrible to. ground to visit, <laughs> as well, so you might as well just watch on television. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> after 16 years or whatever, they finally dropped Mark Noble. That was it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was it. All that was it all along. I don't care about loyalty. You're 35 years old and you can barely run. It doesn't exactly help when you're trying to boss a midfield. Uh. <laughs> Uh, well, just one point from nine games for Sheffield United now. They're on course for just four points this season. <laughs> <laughs> Things are looking pretty hopeless for them, aren't they, Alex? Can you see them turning it around? We keep asking this every week, and I want to I wanna be able to ask a different question about Sheffield United, but I'm just not seeing anything from them. I, I mean, I want to say yes, because the job that Chris Wilder did last season, you could, I mean, you could arguably say that he was manager of the year last year. Mm. Um, 
with you know the sort of how interesting they were as a team um you know the overlapping center backs and all that sort of stuff yeah, yeah. but um you know you do have to wonder is you know have teams worked them out and do they have you know another another string to their bow i'm at the moment i'm not convinced um it's going to yeah going to be an interesting month now for them and up until christmas um I, I would back them to get a few more wins. You know, I'm not expecting them to finish on four points, put it that way. Um, mm. But I, yeah, I, from what I've seen, there's they don't seem to have an awful lot of you know, a different plan B. I guess uh, Rian Brewster may, might have been that, but that seems to have, you know, it's taken him a while to really um, settle in there. And hopefully if he can yeah, start getting, I know he didn't start at the weekend, if he can get a, you know, some regular game time and find some form, hopefully he can be the man to sort of score, score the goals that can keep him up. But um, I mean, I would, I'd like, I would back Chris Wilder to try and find something. I'm sure he's working day and night to um, yeah, try and get them back to winning ways. But um great at the moment I must say mm. well Ollie McBurney hit the bar at the end in this game do you think Matt it could be a case that the goals and the points will start flowing if you just get one little lucky break and then it all it all changes for them no <laughs> <laughs> the, the longer the short of it is and I think that you know we say this I've said this before about Sheffield United I mentioned earlier with Leeds you know McBurney brilliant in a championship useless in the Premier League McGoldrick same useless Premier League and you're pinning your hopes on a you know on Rian Brewster who's coming with an exceptional price tag mm. um, with no Premier League experience prior to the season and you're saying here kid score upwards of 15 goals to keep us in the division it's not going to happen like I said with Leeds if you get a, a striker who's regularly finding the back of the net and you can comfortably say at least 10 to 15 goals then you can build around it. But, you know, if if you're building like they did last season off a strong defence and then you find the odd one nils and you find the odd two nils, two ones here and there, great. But if you can't score and then suddenly your defence gets found out, then you're in trouble, which is exactly what's happening. And I just think without that threat of a goal scorer, teams are starting to realise, like West Ham did, um, Manchester City did it there with a one nil victory. You know, teams are starting to think, hold on, if we get one goal, Right, if we go one nil up against Sheffield United, that's pretty much game over. Mm. All we've got to do is defend a bit, right, against a pretty blunt attacking team, and that's about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's not. I don't see where the threat of of getting back into the game is going to come from. Yeah, McBurney hit the bar, but I just don't see when they go one nil down where their where their style is going to help them. They're much more of a we'll get ahead and then defend it team. Mm. Well, that's all we've got time for this week. Thank you to Alex and Matt for joining me and thank you to everyone for listening. Ian McCourt will be talking all things Champions League on the Euro podcast later this week and we'll be back for another Premier League weekend review podcast next Monday. So we'll see you then.